0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you're a guest here at North, uh, man, we're just blessed that you're here. We hope that you feel encouraged. Uh, If we have not met, my name's Chad, uh, pastor here at uh, North Bible Church, and I hope you get a chance to meet. I do hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, One of the things we're grateful for is my mom and her husband, Mike, uh, were able to drive out and be with us uh, for the first time. And then our son is back in town. He's here. He's, he's catching a flight like right after service. So uh, we're not going to be hanging out having coffee. Sorry. Uh, we're catching a flight, but he's heading back t- uh, to Ohio. And so those are just a couple highlights for us. I hope that you uh, think about your uh, past few days and have a lot of highlights uh, yourself. And now we find ourselves four weeks out from Christmas. Isn't that hard to believe? It's, it's like we were just... Yesterday we went shopping for a tree. I'm like, did this just happen? Like we were just on a plane to Arizona. It felt like, you know, three, four weeks ago. And so it's an exciting time for all of us, but Christmas is here. Uh, Truth be told, Christmas is my favorite holiday. It's one of my favorite times of the season. It's a time where we celebrate the birth of Of Jesus Christ the incarnation like this mind-blowing theological reality of the incarnation that God became flesh and so what makes Christmas so special this season so special is the one we worship it's the one who gave us the season not all the activities right And so the activities, the Christmas lights and the shopping and the family time and the good food, that's all good. That's all uh, different ways we can express um, joy during the season. But sometimes the reason we have the season does get lost. And on top of that, sometimes uh, instead of just this sense of beauty and the Christmas spirit, some of us are sad, depressed, anxious, uh, busy, You know, stressed, and there's a lot of activity. Is that the way the Lord really wants us to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ? Last week on social media, I just threw out this question on social media. I said, What stirs up sadness, stress, frustration, and anxiety for you at Christmas? And many, many, many comments later, uh, these are the top five themes. I just kind of squished them down. To the top five themes that uh, are, are difficult emotions during Christmas. And here's what we see. We see uh, missing family and friends who passed away. That was a big one. That was the leading one. Uh, loneliness and distance from family and friends was another big one. Uh, family drama and family hardships. None of that for you guys. No family drama in the room, I'm sure. But uh, some people, not you, of course, they have family drama or they have family hardships. Uh, anxiety over finances, busyness, uh, work pressure, and activity demands was another one. And for a lot of people, just a disconnect. Just, Just this internal sense, this disconnect of the meaning of Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus, versus what we actually find ourselves doing. Getting sucked into consumerism and commercialism. Some of the comments that really stood out to me that people shared uh, were, were these uh, every store you go into since the end of October is bye 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 christmas is coming it gives me extreme anxiety about going broke yet again to make christmas happen when it's not what this uh, season is all about another person said knowing that all the obligations i have sad as it would make me that i might be better off spending my holidays alone I'm like ooh that's, that's 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 hard right there uh, family drama Aging relatives, both of our parents, and many other situations that are missing from these special and beautiful times of the year make this a sad time. And so we know that when we talk about Christmas, some of us in the room, yes, there's joy. uh, Yes, there's an appreciation for Christmas, but sometimes it's overshadowed by difficulties. And we want to be honest about that. We want to speak to that. Um, Here's also, in addition to that, some very staggering data. Uh, according to gallup and national retail federation and other uh, various polls and 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 data metrics it's estimated that americans this year just this year will spend over one trillion dollars on christmas americans will spend one trillion on christmas at the same time it's estimated that it would take 30 billion dollars to feed the world for one year meaning that the amount that Americans will spend on Christmas in one year would actually feed the world for three years. That's crazy. In addition to that, the average American will spend at least $1,000 at Christmas, and the average American may go $1,000 in debt for Christmas and then have to take months to you know, pay off the debt that they accumulated uh, at Christmas time. Is this the true spirit of Christmas? Do we really believe this is how Jesus is honored best, In the ways that we celebrate his birth. I don't know what traditions you have in your family. One of uh, our favorite traditions is around birthdays. Uh, The birthday person gets to pick what they want for a meal. They can choose breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It's usually dinner. And they can pick either A, what we make. So sometimes they're asking me or mom to make a special dish, or where they would like to go eat. And so we just celebrated her birthday. Our daughter, Isabel, our oldest daughter, uh, she just celebrated 20 years. You know, woohoo! she's big 2 No longer a teenager. We only have one teenager left in the house. That, that was a rude awakening. Like, whoa, when did that happen, right? Some of you holding little kids, it does happen fast. You've never heard that. Trust us, it happens fast, all right? And so uh, she celebrated 20 years. And so we said, where do you want to go? And she selected a restaurant that was meaningful to her and that she would like. And so we, we took her, and uh, we're going to be paying that off for like, the next five years, just joking. <laughs> Just teasing. It was a joy. It was a joy just to be there and to celebrate her and and have fun together and enjoy good food. But um, what if instead I picked a place that was meaningful to me? What if my wife and I just said, you know what, I want to pick a restaurant that we like to take you to. What if uh, I wanted to just pull out all the stops, take her to some big swanky restaurant, you know, let's get dressed up, let's go out, spend, you know, our money and have some big nice restaurant. And she's like, Dad, really, really I just would like to go to Chick-fil-A. What would it say if I'm like, no, we're, we're going to a nice dinner. We're doing, it, we're doing it the way I want. It would be like, but, that, but I just want to go to Chick-fil-A. It would be a miss if, if I selected something different. Or what if she was hoping to be kind of pampered for a big birthday and was hoping for something nice. I'm like, hey, we're going to Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Like, if, if I celebrate different than the connect with the heart, it's, it's a miss. Do you ever feel like there's a disconnect and a miss with how we celebrate Christ and his birth? That sometimes what we do and what we focus on and what we're obsessed with during the Christmas season may be actual disconnect and amiss from the heart of Christ. And So uh, I think that's similar to what we do in Christmas. What if uh, we're spending tons of money, exhausting ourselves, frenzied with activity, rushing around, feeling stressed, anxious, all that unnecessarily, putting all this pressure on ourselves and Jesus might be going, I actually would like something more simple. You know, for those of us who uh, are followers of Jesus, when we look at his life, we look at his ministry, something inside of us tells us probably what would honor Christ most. If he were to tell us, this is how I want you to celebrate my birthday, we probably all suspect it would have a lot to do with investing in relationships and being generous with other people, rather than spending obscene amounts of money, exhausting ourselves with demands, and acquiring more material possessions. That's what's at the heart of this next four weeks. We're doing this um, teaching series called The Advent Conspiracy, and it has four themes that we focus on. Uh, It's to worship fully, it's to spend less, yet at the same time give more. That'll make sense later, right? And to love all. That's what The Advent Conspiracy is all about. Now, the word Advent means arrival, right? It's when we celebrate the first arrival of Christ, We know that there's another Advent coming, his second arrival that we're waiting for. And so the Advent component is celebrating the arrival of Christ. The conspiracy, when you conspire together, you agree to act together for a common goal. What do we want as a common goal, as a a family of faith? And so Advent conspiracy is our purposeful effort to engage Christmas in a way that is meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at those four emphases over the next four weeks as our response, as a recommended response to celebrating the birth of Christ. So worship fully, to spend less, to give more, to love all. Today we're going to focus on worshiping fully. And here's really the big idea that I want us to wrap our minds and hearts around today. That Christ's birth calls us to a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship. I want to say that again. Christ's birth calls us to a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship. So we're going to open up our Bibles. You can turn on or turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. We have free Bibles in the Welcome Center. If you don't have a Bible app that you uh, are familiar with, we have recommends that uh, we can give you. I don't know if we have that slide for that. Uh, We're going to start putting that one up every week. And also, a few other resources I want to make sure you're uh, known about. All of you should have got one of these booklets when you hand it in. Uh, This is a series booklet. It has the teaching passages that we're going to be in for all four weeks, so you can read them in advance. Uh, There's just blank lines trying to give you some space to take some notes. Uh, There's a little blurb for me in the front, again, reminding us about what the heart of this is. In the back, There's some uh, North recommended giving opportunities to be more generous toward as you're thinking about Christmas, as you're thinking of all the different ways you can be generous. And on uh, the back is uh, just a copy of our Christmas Eve invite. We have uh, these copies as well, and you can get digital copies off our social media. And also we have a family kit. Uh, This is great, especially for those of you parents with young kids. Just uh, exercises each week, activities each week that you can do to help really lean into the themes and the concepts that we're talking about. You can pick up one of these and some other uh, Advent-oriented resources at the Resource Center uh, out in the foyer space. So just a few other resources you have. Again, recommend you grab one of these, bring it every week for the next four weeks. Um, Those would be very helpful for you. All right, we're in the book of Matthew. Chapter 2, we're looking at one of the most common uh, biblical narratives, moments, uh, of the Christmas story. It's known as the visit of the three wise men, the magi, the kings, you've heard before. Uh, We're going to look at that and dive in and talk about how we can worship more fully uh, this morning. So join me in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here we go. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to, what's the next word? Worship, right? Come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They had told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and... What's the next word? Worship Worship him. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's forever. It's truth. It's holy. It's practical. It's relatable. It's personal. It's supernatural. And we're so grateful that you gave us your word to guide our lives, our hearts, our minds. Jesus, when we think about your birth, we are so sorry for what we've turned it to at times, sometimes having nothing to do with you, So God, I pray that today you kind of realign us, refresh an understanding of what it would mean to just worship you fully when we celebrate your birth. We ask in Christ's name. We all said. Hey, before diving into a couple sermon points, I really just want to unpack a little bit of some observations and clarity, even a little myth busting around the three guys, people always say, showing up around this time after the birth of Christ. I want to talk about uh, the Magi here. Now, this occurred, by the way, after the birth of Christ. So I'm about to like blow some people's minds if you haven't paid attention closely. uh, A lot of times the nativity scenes we have are wrong. Now, it's nice that we have them represented, but the reality is uh, these people did not show up at the night of the birth of Christ. Uh, When you get back in the text, it talks about they came to the house this is they came to a stable, right? They didn't come to the place where Mary, they came to a house to see the child. In the original language, the word child and baby are different. And so what we're talking about is uh, the child here. Uh, when you advance, and we'll talk about this in a second, but when you advance uh, to the next section of verses, you see that Herod, in his effort to get rid of the Messiah child he's hearing about, he actually kills all the children in the region age what? Two and under. So we understand that when the Magi show up, it's, it's not that beautiful scene where they show up the night of the birth. Sorry if that burst your bubble a little bit. I'm just reading the Bible, all right? But it's fine that we represent them, of course, in our nativities. But that's the reality. This is after the birth of Christ. These are also Magi. Uh, they are believed to be Persian or Babylonian astrologers who charted the star and attached religious significance to the star's movements. They were not kings. They usually served kings and gave counsel to kings, but they themselves were not actually kings. Uh, we have no idea how that kind of got in there, but uh, they weren't kings. And there's actually no number announced in Scripture. Sure, there could have been three. It's not likely, though. There was probably more than three. Now, they gave three gifts. That's where we get the three gifts. Kings, but in reality, there, there could have been a whole entourage. They probably showed up in an entourage, but more than likely it was more than three. Might have been less than three. That's just an arbitrary number, but FYI, just a little myth busting there. Just again, some geographical orientation to think about what these men did. Uh, they went to Bethlehem, but we believe they came out of Babylonia and Persia, and we're not sure which way Google Maps sent them, right? And so we just know this trek would have took like 900 to 1,000 miles. So when you look at a map, you think about how far they came over from the Babylonian Persian area of the map and region over to Bethlehem. It was a long, long journey that these men took, and they followed this star. It could have been a supernatural manifestation for the benefit um, of God coordinating uh, that event, or God could have coordinated, some people talk about uh, you know, they look back at astronomy and stuff and go, God could have coordinated the cosmos to have a star available at the time. Um, but one of those two is true. We also know that God had his hand on it no matter what. And as the Magi eventually arrived in Jerusalem, had their encounter with King Herod, then they made the way on to Bethlehem, led by the star, following this supernatural or cosmically uh, coordinated event that God had for them. And uh, they went to Bethlehem. If you didn't know this, Bethlehem is just six miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's one of my favorite places to go uh, when we take our trips to Israel because you can get over there and you can go to the shepherd's fields and you can stand there and you're in these these fields looking, going somewhere within visual range all of these events took place. It might not be right where I'm standing, but wherever my eyes are falling, angels came out of the sky, the birth of Christ happened. Like, these events are real, this is not a myth, this is not fable, these are real events. And so you can actually go to the shepherd's fields today and get a sense for what that was like. So basically, to summarize, we probably had more than three individuals. They were, um, they were uh, three months or so after the birth, all the way up to two years. And they weren't actually kings. So sorry to John Henry Hopkins Jr., who wrote the carol We Three Kings in 1857. Um, they were magi. So just a little background as we dive in, because I, I just... I don't like us to be um, inaccurate in our understanding. I don't like to perpetuate myths if we can help it. So just a little context. Now, what can we learn from this passage related to worshiping fully? Well, first, I want to bring out this observation. I'll give two examples of worship that we saw here in this text. The first example of worship is this. Full worship was displayed. Full worship. It wasn't, you know, kind of worship. It wasn't quasi-worship. Uh, the Magi came and offered Full worship. And full worship elevates Christ. It lifts up Jesus. It elevates the Savior. So expressed worship, this full worship, elevates Christ. The Magi left their comfortable, convenient, and familiar area to travel. An incredible distance to come and worship the supernaturally born King of Kings. God's Saviour. God's Messiah. So just the fact that they left the convenient and comfortable to come was one of the ways they demonstrated full worship. I think the question for us is, are we willing to depart from that which is comfortable and convenient when we worship Christ? Not just at Christmas, but every day. And when it comes to Christmas, have we created a box? Or has our family traditions created a box? Or has our culture created a box that limits our worship? that dilutes our worship. So full, ele- full worship elevates Christ, and it's not satisfied unless that happens. Like the part of us that God made that is designed to worship God is dissatisfied. Something feels off, and we've all felt it. We've all had a day in our life or and around Christmas going, I just feel like there's something missing. I just feel like there's something more that's supposed to happen in this moment. And so that that hardwired part of worship in our lives and hearts from God is dissatisfied unless full worship happens, unless the elevation of Christ takes place. Look at verse 11. We get a glimpse again of how they worshiped. It says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they fell down and worshiped. Worshipped him. The word in the Greek there is the word "proskaneo." It means to to kiss, to prostrate oneself before, to acknowledge his deity. And so, in the East, uh, when you came to a place of worship, you would fall on your knees, and a lot of times you would literally touch the ground with your head, or you get prostrate before in an act of worship. These magi, these these royal-natured men that came with such vast knowledge and resources and experience, got as low to the ground as they could in the presence of this little bitty child. It was an act of worship. It was profound reverence. There was physical, emotional, heartfelt submission to Christ. And By them lowering themselves to this child, they were elevating Christ. That's the way worship works. Jesus isn't worshiped in our lives unless we lower ourselves. He is greater than we are, right? And so we have to lower ourselves. We have to lift up Christ. We have to put him above our own desires, above our own wills, above our own wants. Is that how your worship is described? When you think about how you worship God, How you worship Savior, are those the words that are descriptive of your worshiping, that you lower yourself so that he may be lifted. And then they open their treasures to the Lord. Um, I was given this box years ago, and it's been a fun little thing. Um, We see these gifts that were brought. And so obviously we see gold. This is just a little water container with gold flakes. Gold was a gift that was fitting for a king, It was the most valued and treasured substance, right, gold. When King Solomon, the richest man who's ever lived, wanted to, um, you know, be extravagant, he just said, well, I'm going to make shields of gold. I'm going to lay pieces of wood over with gold. It was gold. And so gold was the gift that they brought, reminded us that he's a king. He's the king of kings that was just born, this little child that's, uh, you know, now in the arms of his mother. And so they brought gold to worship the Lord. Also, they brought frankincense. Frankincense is a spice. It's a fragrant resin that's used in incense and perfume. Um, It's taken from the sap of, uh, I got it right here, uh, the boswellia tree. And so this is a piece of frankincense. You can't really see it from where you're sitting probably. It's just a little piece of sap that has a, a fragrance to it. And then this is used to put into the incense, into the oils, which were used for anointing. And so, when you anoint, uh, anoint, anointing a lot of times is for a priest and for special occasions. And so, this was a reminder that Jesus, the one that was born, is going to be the priest above all priests. And so, they brought frankincense, and then they also brought myrrh, which is also a resin that is gathered from the sap of uh, the camphora tree, and it's used in oil, also fragrance, a different fragrance that's used both for oil. Um, for the prophets in the incense sometimes when you walk into the temple the odor of the incense had this scent of it with the myrrh it was also used in embalming and so there's a twofold nature here that the one that came wasn't just the king of kings he wasn't just the prophet of prophets or the priest of priests he's the prophet of prophets and so his life was to be laid down as an incense offering to the Lord and then they would embalm him they would bury him with spices and myrrh was one of them. So these were very uh, expensive and fascinating gifts that the Magi brought, but they were act as an act of worship. There was symbolism. There was intentionality. When we worship Christ, what is the treasure that we offer? What is in the box, if you will, that you open when you bring your worship to the Lord? Is there anything in it? Is it a couple trinkets? Is it kind of like a last minute, you know, or is it it intentional? Is it expensive and costly to you somehow? The the greatest expense for us is our pride. When we open our treasure to the Lord, is there's humility in there. And then the physical components. How are every resource that God's allowed us to have, because we're smart enough to know that we actually don't have everything on our own. We can convince ourselves that everything we possess in this earth we achieved, but without the very air that God gave you, the capacity to think and learn and grow, uh, without the functions of our hands, our feet, our eyes, our nose, our mouth, our brain, we've got zilch. So everything is traced back to the Lord. We don't technically own anything, it's all borrowed from the one who gave it to us. And so when you look at our, our money, you look at our possessions, you look at our time, you look at our abilities, Are you opening up your treasure chest of abilities and resources and time? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you praying? Are you you being humble? Are you being generous? All those things all flow out of a heart of worship. And the opposite is true. Lack of humility, lack of generosity, lack of giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, a lot of times reveals a lack of worship. So full worship is full worship. We see it in the fact that how they left the place of comfort and convenience, they endured hardship, they opened up a treasure, they bring great gifts, they have all of these aspects that they offer the Lord. They're all elevating Christ in the worship. And so we see the Magi and we see this great model of full worship. And so when we say that Christ's birth calls us to deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship, You can use the Magi as like Exhibit A in a lot of respects. And so we look at them and go, that's a picture of what I should not be trying to do just every Christmas, but every day. So we see the Magi. They're they're an example of full worship to elevate Christ. But then we see this word worship used again, and I would say it's fake worship. Fake worship. See, fake worship tries to eliminate Christ. Well, full worship tries to elevate Christ, Fake worship tries to eliminate Christ. Uh, This is noticed when King Herod mentioned his um, quote-unquote intentions to the Magi if they were to find the Christ child. Look again at verse 8 of Matthew 2. It says, He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship you. Doesn't something inside of you, just a little spidey sense, kind of warn you that maybe he has a different idea of worship than they do? Something's not um, jiving right here. And what we notice is that Herod wanted Jesus eliminated. The evidence is clear when you fast forward and look at verse 16 of Matthew 2 when he eliminates all the children, the boys, that are two years old and younger in the region around him. See, Jesus was a threat to Herod. Jesus was a threat to Herod's reign, to Herod's kingdom, to Herod's way of life, to Herod's plans. Herod said, worship with his lips, but he had murder in his heart. He wanted to eliminate Jesus. Actions always reveal what's true in our hearts of what our affections are, of what we truly value, of who or what we worship. So contrast the magi (laughs) to Herod, one who's trying to elevate Christ, one who's trying to eliminate Christ. Now, we wouldn't say we have murder in our heart to Christ, but we have to honestly answer the question of whether or not our worship at Christmas, as well as every other day, he uh, elevates Jesus or eliminates Jesus. And I'm not talking about what a coffee company puts on their cups. I'm not talking about whether our city puts a nativity scene in the square or not. I'm not talking about whether the store clerk says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how followers of Christ keep the sacred aspect of our worship sacred. See, worshiping fully is the responsibility of the believer. It's not the expectation of the unbeliever. That's sometimes where we get out of bounds, where we try to impose full worship to those who don't even know the Lord. And we get preoccupied with that instead of our own worship and how we worship the Lord and whether our worship is fake or whether our worship is full. And so we need to guard our hearts from fake worship We're talking about professing Christians celebrating the birth of the Savior. And so we don't want to be guilty of what Herod is guilty of, fake worship. We don't want to be guilty of trying to say, oh, we love Jesus, we're celebrating Jesus with our lips, but clearly our life and our actions and our decisions are saying something completely different. Uh, There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, that says this. The Lord said, because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And so if you elevate Christ at Christmas, you're trying to not just say it with your mouth but also live it with your life. So I invite you to evaluate your worship this morning. Is it fake? Or is it full? Does it elevate Christ? Or does it actually eliminate Christ? Does the percentage of frantically running around elevate Christ or eliminate Christ at Christmas? Does the way you manage your money at Christmas elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? Does the time you spend with people during the season elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? Does the way you express generosity and care to the least, the lost, and the last at Christmas elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? So, let's conspire together for the next four weeks at least on how we can elevate Christ and have more full worship and have Christmas be more meaningful uh, than maybe we would anticipate in the weeks and months ahead. Because Christ's birth calls us to a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship. Now some of you are going, that's great. What does this look like? <laughs> so here's just some practical ideas uh, that have been written down or practiced by other families that might help you. This is a good spot for you to maybe capture some that stand out. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me too because we're going to wrap it up here in a few. Here's some practical ideas. Uh, make sure you're in the Bible each day focusing on God's Word. Right? That's just a big part of worship. Uh, go through an Advent book or daily verses or a reading guide, an Advent guide during Christmas to keep Christ in the center uh use the advent conspiracy family kits or other advent reading resources uh, to help you uh, some people make a birthday cake right anyone do that by the way does anyone make a birthday cake for jesus i know some families do that okay i see a couple of hands yeah some families make a birthday cake for jesus and sing happy birthday to jesus with you know especially if you have little kids and, and, and do that to try to keep christ at the center uh, make a playlist of christ-centered christmas songs and carols to listen to during christmas like, Grandma got ran over by reindeer, probably won't make that list. <laughs> but like, come, let us adore him. There's so many awesome Christmas carols worship songs that elevate Christ. You can make a playlist for that. Uh, go find a live nativity to experience, just to kind of visualize maybe what this was like. Uh, have your kids read the Christmas story while setting up the nativity uh, before, during opening presents uh, for one night. Or more, unplug from technology and say we're going to engage differently just to try to get at the heart of Christ. Uh, find intentional ways to bless and serve others, especially the hurting, the lonely, and the poor. Um, we have a lot of examples of that. Uh, some, some families, by the way, when they try to do that, they, instead of spending all their money on gifts, they say, hey, I'm going to pick a cause and I'm going to buy something for that cause. And then when they come together, uh, they say, hey, here's what, I, uh, here's what I gifted. I bought a goat for a village in Africa uh, because they don't have means to produce money, income, meat, milk. And so I bought that instead of a sweater for, you know, grandpa. Uh, Just just be innovative, be creative. You're limited by your uh, heart of generosity and you're limited by your imagination. Um, One family had been talking about the birth of Christ and what it meant, how God so gave himself that what they didn't realize was their little boy started saving his allowance. And then at Christmas Eve, he brought his allowance in and, and put it in the offering, and they're, oh, what'd you do that for? I just, mommy and daddy, I just want to give to God like he gave to us, and this is all I have. Like, just tap into the spirit of what it means to worship fully, to elevate Christ, whatever that means for you. One of the ways you can do that is to invite people to come here. Some people um, don't include worship or an experience of worship in their celebrations, and so invite them to come hang out with us Christmas Eve. Uh, we've given you invites. There's actual invite cards that you'll find in the foyer. Uh, you can go to our social media, take a photo of this, send them digitally to your friends. Hey, what are you guys doing for Christmas Eve? Come with us because we believe that when they're in an environment that's worshiping Christ, God uses that and moves in their lives. So just be proactive. Here's what we want to do turn in your booklet. You're going to find this at the end of all our times each week. I don't want to tell you what to do but I do want to be intentional about giving you a chance to capture what the Holy Spirit might be telling you what to do. And so right here at the bottom of this page from today's time, you have a reflection question that says this, what did the Holy Spirit impress on my heart today? So as you sat here listening to me and interacting with Matthew chapter 2, what did the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart? I want you to think about that and write that down. We're going to give you a little bit to write, pray, write that down. Second question is this. It's a question about application. What practical idea or ideas can I put in action starting this Christmas? And maybe just write down a couple things that come to mind and then get together with your family members and say, hey, what did you think of? What did you think of? And think of ways to actually put what we're talking about into action. And so I'm going to give you a minute here just to interact with this. Write down what the Holy Spirit put on your heart write down what ideas come to mind, and then in a minute, Aaron's going to close us in a time of worship. So right now, just just spend some time trying to capture what maybe God is telling you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.